Okay, we're continuing together our study of our church's doctrinal statement, which expresses what the Bible teaches about various topics. And we're looking at chapter 31, which deals with the state of man after death and of the resurrection of the dead. And the question that this um, section attempts to answer is, what happens to people after they die? Now, there's only one way we can know that, and that's by God telling us, because none of us have ever died and gone to the other side and then come back and said, here's what happened. And, uh, but Jesus knows the answer to those questions, and he has explicitly stated uh, in the Gospels what that is, and we've been considering that together uh, in our studies of this paragraph. So what we want to do is read what is here and then pick up where we left off last time. It says, The bodies of men after death return to dust and seek corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise, where they are with Christ. And behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Beside these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. So that's what the Bible teaches about what happens to people after they die. And death, of course, as it says in the last phrase, is the separation of the soul from the body. And the body, of course, goes to the grave. We're all familiar with that. We've all been uh, to funerals. But what happens to the soul? Well, it doesn't pass out of existence. It doesn't go into unconsciousness. As we have seen, it goes to God. All souls, when they leave their bodies, go to God. And God then makes a distinction between those who are righteous, that is, those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ as their Savior, and those who are wicked, those who have repudiated and rejected Christ. And he sends them to different destinations. The righteous immediately go into heaven to be with God and there enjoy a tremendous um, happiness and delight. They're with God. Their souls have been made perfect. They enjoy fellowship with God and with one another. The wicked, on the other hand, are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day. Now, it's that latter place, the place of hell, that we looked at, started looking at last week, and want to continue to look at this week. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that when you ask people about hell, they um, don't like to think that such a place exists or that a loving God would ever send anybody there. But it's fascinating to me the way that people use the word 
in their language when they say things like, hell yes, or hell no. Why do they do that? Well, the reason why they do that is because in our heart of hearts, we know there's a heaven and we know there's a hell. And we recognize that there must be some sort of judgment and justice carried out after this life because it sure isn't carried out very well in this life. We see people who do horrible things and seem to get away with it and seem to die um, without ever suffering the consequences of the wrong that they've done. And on the other hand, we see people who uh, live very virtuous lives and good lives and yet they suffer terribly in this world. And then they go to the grave and it seems that there's never been any reward or benefit rendered to them for the good things that they have done. And so we recognize that if that's where things stop and that's the end of the story, then justice is a joke in the universe. But of course, after death comes the judgment. The Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. And it is in that final judgment where justice is perfectly distributed and all good deeds are rewarded and all evil deeds are punished. And thus we have um, the upholding of the principle of justice in God's universe. Now, we've been looking then at this subject of, of hell and we saw that the vast majority of what we know about hell has been taught to us by none other than Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus came to this earth to be a savior. Remember our memory verse? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. Well, what is he saving us from? What liability do we have that we need to be delivered from? And the answer is, is that we have committed sins and sins, if they are punished cause us to go to hell. And what Jesus saves us from is from hell. He's a savior from hell. And so um, we have been looking at this doctrine and you know, if there is no hell, then there is no need for a savior. What do you need to be saved from? If there's no liability for your sins and no eternal consequences of them. There was no need for Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins to deliver us from the consequences of our sins if there's no consequences to our sins. But the Bible makes it very clear that the wages of sin is death and that the punishment for sin is eternal torment in the fires of hell and that it is precisely from that awful uh, end that Jesus came to save us. And that what, that's what makes him a precious savior. And that's what makes him a, a wonderful savior. Um, and the more awful the consequences we have been saved from, then the more wonderful the savior is. Now, if you are walking down a snowy hill and you slip and fall, and uh, you're not hurt, you fell in the soft snow, but somebody reaches over and grabs you by the hand and lifts you up. You're grateful, they helped you up, that's nice. 
But if you're drowning in a lake and you can't swim and you're just about to black out and somebody reaches their hand out and grabs yours and pulls you up out of the water and saves your life. It's fundamentally the same act, but you were saved from a far worse condition when you were saved from drowning. And as a result, the gratitude that you have towards your savior is going to be much greater. And this is the reason why Christians love Jesus so much and why we have such affection and attachment and love and loyalty to him is because he didn't just save us from a little fall. He saved us from an eternity in the lake of fire. And so what happens when we minimize the doctrine of hell? is we wind up minimizing the significance and value of Jesus Christ. And when we minimize the significance of hell, what we also do is we minimize the significance of sin. Because see, if sin isn't punished very much, then sin isn't very bad. If I drive 10 miles an hour over the speed limit and I get a $100 speeding ticket, well, not very bad fine because not a very bad crime. But if I cut somebody's throat with a knife and I go to the electric chair or the lethal injection or whatever they're doing these days, the degree of my punishment is proportionate to the degree of my crime. Now, if God sees fit to send people who break his law to the torment of hell for all of eternity, that tells us sin must be really, really bad. And indeed it is. It's not a light thing to break the Ten Commandments. It's not a light thing to sin against God. And when we sin against God, we incur the liability of breaking his law. And that liability is punishment in hell. Now it is true there are degrees of punishment in hell. Somebody who murdered one person isn't gonna suffer as much as somebody like Adolf Hitler who murdered six million. But even the least punishment is more than you even wanna think about bearing because it's eternal in duration. And as we're going to see from the biblical descriptions we look at, it's horrible in contemplation. It's just like in heaven, there's going to be degrees of reward, but even the least place in heaven is indescribably wonderful. And the least place in hell is indescribably horrible. And it gets more horrible from that. And in heaven, the least place in heaven is indescribably wonderful. And it gets more wonderful beyond that. And so the wonder of Jesus Christ is it's not just that he saves us from hell. He doesn't just save us from hell and put us back on neutral ground. He saves us from hell and takes us to heaven. Amen. And that's what's so wonderful and so amazing about Jesus. And that's why Christians get so excited about the birth of Jesus coming to this earth and the death of Jesus on the cross at Easter because Jesus saved us from hell, from the consequences of our sins. 
And so all of those who believe in him, all of those who trust in him, all of those who cry out to him to save them from their sins, um, he saves them. You know, it's kind of like if, if someone is, is drowning in the lake and you say, here, let me save you. And they go like this. Nope, I want to drown. Well, and Jesus is in the world today reaching out his hand saying, you know, come to me. I will save you. And people go, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I love my sin too much. I enjoy my sin too much. I enjoy my self-will. And it's like, okay, if you want to drown in the lake of fire, it's your prerogative, but I'm willing and able to save you if you will be saved. And the foolishness of people not crying out to the Savior to save them would be as foolish as if someone were drowning in a lake and you said, here, take my hand. And they said, no, I'm not interested, thanks. I, I prefer um, to thrash around here in, in the water until I die. You know, you, you think, well, that's stupid. No one would ever do that in the physical realm, but people do that in the spiritual realm every day. And it just shows the, the insanity and the darkness and the blindness of sin and the effect that it has on the human mind and the human heart that it would reject that, which is the greatest possible blessing that could ever be given to it, which is deliverance from hell and entrance into heaven. So when Jesus came to the earth, guess what he talked about? Well, he talked about a lot of things, but I want to emphasize this is that Jesus talked a lot more about hell than he ever talked about heaven. And the reason why is because he said, this is what I've come to save you from. And you need to understand how bad your liabilities are for committing sin and how desperate and dark your future is if you persist in it. And how important it is that you put your trust and faith in me as your savior to deliver you from it. So let's see what Jesus had to say. Last time we looked at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Um, And we want to just briefly reread that and um, make a couple of minor comments on it. And then we'll look at several other passages in which Jesus addressed the issue of hell. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John in the New Testament. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, which fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Over the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And so we see from this story, it's not that the rich man went to hell because he was rich and the poor man went to heaven because he was poor. That's not the point. Because Abraham's in heaven and Abraham was far richer than the rich man who went to hell. So we have poor people and rich people in heaven and poor people and rich people in hell. The point Jesus is making here is that in the next life, our condition can be radically different than it is in this life. And we can't take the condition we're in this life and just project it into the next and say what we're experiencing here is what we're going to experience there. But rather, the difference between these two men is that one of them trusted in Christ as a savior and the other one didn't. One went to heaven and the other was tormented in the flames of hell. And you'll notice the way to escape hell and the way to enter heaven is to pay attention to what the Bible has to say. A lot of people say, well, someone came back from the dead and told me what. No, Jesus says it wouldn't matter. If you're not going to listen to what the Bible says, what Moses and the prophets have to say, then you wouldn't be persuaded if one rose from the dead and told you. Because the Bible is a much more reliable witness than any individual human being, because the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, remember, this is Jesus talking here. Jesus told this story about these two men. They're real men. One of them he gave a name to. Uh, told us what his name was. Abraham was a real person. Lazarus was a real person. He, he declined to identify the rich man, but nevertheless, he was a real person too. And it says very clearly that he is tormented in this flame and that there is a great gulf fixed between heaven and hell, and those in hell are there forever, and those in heaven are there forever. And in the afterlife, there's no crossing over. In other words, there's no second chance. Hell is a place of eternal conscious torment forever with no way out. That's the point that Jesus is making. Now, we looked at it last time. We're not going to belabor it. Let's look at some other passages. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew, please. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to look at chapter 13. And we're just going to uh, kind of cruise through uh, several passages, and notice in each instance, Jesus is the one who's talking here. Matthew 13, beginning at verse um, 41. Matthew 13, 41. Now, Jesus is talking here about the end of the world, 
okay, what's going to happen at the end of the world. And he says in Matthew 13, 41, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, that is, those who commit sins, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus makes it very clear there's going to be two places and two types of people. One type of people are going to be in the kingdom of the father and the others are going to be cast into, he says, a furnace of fire where they will be conscious. There will be weeping and wailing and uh, gnashing of teeth. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 18. Same book, Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look together at verses 7 through 9. Now, once again, Jesus emphasizes the significance and the seriousness of sin, and here he calls them offenses. He says in Matthew 18, 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, that is, lead thee into sin, cut them off and cast them from thee. For it is better to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Notice the description, everlasting fire. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire. Now, Jesus isn't talking about literally cutting off your eyes and your hands and your feet because they're not the source of sin. But what he's talking about is cutting off the things that are the most precious to us, namely the sins that we love, rather than cling to those sins and wind up being cast into hell. Now, there are sins that are as precious to us as our eye and our hand and our feet. We commit sins with those particular items, our eyes and our hands and our feet, um, in various ways. And um, what Jesus is saying is that we need to cut those things off and cast them away, though they're as precious to us as our appendages. Because it's, it's better to endure the pain and the cost of repenting of sin and separating from sin now than to have those things and wind up suffering the torment of hell forever. He calls it here hell fire and he calls it everlasting fire. All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30, he's talking about those who would not serve Christ in this life. And he says that they are unprofitable servants. And he says regarding these unprofitable servants are those who are in rebellion against Christ in this life. Verse 30, Matthew 25, 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness... There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, not just in this place, but in other places in the Bible, it describes hell 
as a place not only of torment, but also of darkness. And the darkness is the opposite, of course, of light. Heaven is a place of light. Hell is a place of darkness. Heaven is a place of illumination. Hell is a place of gloom and, uh, and, and, and darkness. And uh, it's a place of moral darkness. It's a place of spiritual darkness. And um, it uh, may very well even be a place of, of physical darkness. Um, and you all know how depressing it is to be in darkness all the time. You're always turning on the lights or always glad when the sunshine comes out. Uh, imagine being in a place where, among other things, there is eternal darkness. And then Matthew 25, 46, Jesus is talking about the final day of judgment. Let's start out at verse 31. Matthew 26, 31. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory... Did I say 26? Pardon me. Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31. Okay? Matthew 25, 31. And when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Notice once again the division of two groups of people out of humanity. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And shall the righteous answer, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or fed thee, or thirsty, or gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? When saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came to thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. In other words, what Jesus is saying to us is the way you treat my people is the way you treat me. So, who are the brethren of Christ? They're Christians. And Jesus says, the way you treat any Christian is the way you treat me. Because I and Christians are of a piece. It's kind of like a husband and a wife. If I attack the wife, the husband views it as an attack on him. And if I attack the husband, the wife views it as an attack on her because... They're, they're in a union, aren't they? They're of a peace. And an attack on one is an attack on the other because the nature of, of, of the covenant that's between them. Well, it's intensified a million times over between believers and Christ. The nature of our union and communion with Christ is such that an attack on Christ is an attack on us and an attack on us is an attack on Christ. Conversely, a blessing shown to us. If I'm nice to your wife, if, if you're her husband, you consider I've been nice to you. And if I'm nice to you, your wife considers I've been nice to her. Okay? And so it is. If, if someone is good to the people of Christ, Jesus takes that as someone being good to him. Now notice, it goes on to say, verse 41, Then shall he say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into what? Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, here's another aspect to hell 
is people say, well, when I go to hell, all my friends will be there. We discussed this last week. But you know who else is going to be there? The devil and his angels. And the worst horror movie you've ever seen is not as horrible as being in the same place as Satan and his angels are. Um, Your worst nightmare is to be around demons. And that's who those who are cast into hell will be with. Um, Anyway, prepare for the devils and his angels. Verse 42, I was hungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison and you visited me not. And then shall they answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life, life eternal. It's exact same language in the Greek, exact same words. And so if we view heaven as something that's going to last forever, we have to view hell as something that's going to last forever too, because the exact same word for eternal, everlasting, is used in the original language. Translated differently here with synonyms just for the sake of literary variation, but everlasting and eternal are the same thing. They're synonyms, okay? And the Greek word behind them is exactly the same in the original language. So what he's saying here is that those who identify with Christ, identify with his people, love them and serve them. And those who hate Christ, hate his people, and they persecute them and are indifferent towards them. And the way you can tell who believes in Jesus is who they identify with and who they minister to and serve. And we know that if we're of the world, the world would love its own because you are not of the world. I've called you out of the world. Therefore, the world, what? Hates you. So those who have faith in Christ will naturally want to love and serve Christ's people. And those who hate Christ will naturally neglect and persecute and ignore the needs of Christ's people. And that's how you tell who has saving faith in Christ is how do they view and treat the people of God? Do they despise them, can't stand them, want to get away from them? Or do they love them, desire their company, and long to be with them and fellowship with them and serve them and meet their needs? But notice the consequences. Twice Jesus says, he says, he calls them cursed, apart from you, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he says in verse 46, they shall go away into everlasting punishment. Now, these are not all the verses. We've just been through Matthew. We've already seen one in Luke. And there's other statements in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of John that are very similar. There's no point in belaboring the point. Uh, what we need to understand is that Jesus wasn't kidding when he talked about the reality of hell, the awfulness of hell, the duration of hell, and the suffering of hell. And that's what our sins deserve. That's how serious our sins are. And that's how wonderful it was that Jesus came to save us from those sins 
if we'll just cry out to him to save us. Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. I repent of them. I ask you to save me. Lord Jesus, I want to love you and serve you and follow you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And that's what makes the difference between someone who winds up in everlasting fire and one who winds up in everlasting blessedness. Okay, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. And Father, we thank you for the seriousness of the matters that have been set before us today. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to think about these matters in relationship to our own personal condition. I pray that each one in this room would ask themselves, have I repented of my sin which deserves the punishment of hell? Have I believed in Jesus as my Savior who gives to me the blessings of eternal life and a home in heaven and reconciliation with God? Father, there are no more important questions than these. For Father, these are eternal questions that determine where we will spend all of eternity. May each one here today, Father, cry out to Jesus in repentance and faith, trusting in him as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.